1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Back to the Nerd Cape Retro podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. So I don't even know what episode number we're on now. What is this, like 16, 17, somewhere around there? 17. So we are uh, almost of legal age. Yes, we are. (laughs) And I hope we didn't uh, lose a lot of listeners for the uh, epic rant we went on for last week's show.
0: Yeah, tonight's episode should be a a little bit more tame.
1: Yeah, we're going to be a little more subdued this week. I actually did look online to see if there were any, uh, if if Nintendo had any sort of uh, anything to say about the Mini NES launch, and I could find nothing. They've said nothing about about it.
0: Yeah, it's about par for the world.
1: I just, I, it, it, they, I mean, really, they should say something. Say, come out and say, look, we're sorry. Uh, we didn't expect it to be this popular. We're going to have, you know, another 100,000 units coming out by December 15th, and they'll be available. Or they can come on and say, hey, let's go ahead and start doing pre-orderings for the next batch. How about that? Something. Give us something.
0: You would think, and what's funny is on Black Friday, I actually went out uh, Friday night, and I went through Best Buy, and I'm thinking they are missing out on such a huge opportunity to be making a boatload of money.
1: Can you imagine how much money Nintendo would have made if they would have put out a half a million units between Target, Best Buy, Walmart, GameStop? They would have destroyed it this holiday season.
0: They could pull a Scrooge McDuck and swim in the money.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess that's just Nintendo these days. It's just, like you said, par for the course. Nothing we could really do about it. I mean, we could get on the internet and, you know, like, s- suddenly a, a million voices screamed out in terror and we're suddenly silent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, like, they don't say anything, they don't tell us anything. You know, I, we just have to sit back and wonder, like, are they going to botch the uh, the Switch uh, launch? Or, I mean, are do they care? I mean, say something, Nintendo. I mean, I understand that that's the nature of them being a Japanese company, is they will never admit failure. But that's just, that's such an archaic way of doing things. If you would just come out and say, hey, we screwed up. You know, we're going to try to make this right. That would, you know, endear you to your fans. If you would come out and just tell us something. Yeah, I agree. So, well, Uh, let's... uh, I didn't mean to go back into that again. It just, it still sticks in my craw a little bit, you know? Like, go back and listen to last week's episode and you'll hear exactly what we thought about it. On a lighter note, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, yes, I did. I went to my sister-in-law's parents' house, out way out in the middle of literally nowhere. Had no bars on the phone and uh, was out of contact for the entire day. But other than that, the, the food was great. The company was great. We had a great time. How was yours?
0: It was good. It was a little a uh, little different because I've never had to go to like a girlfriend or a significant other's uh, family yes. for Thanksgiving. So we, uh, we went to my aunt's house for lunch, which is in Jay, Florida, where I'm originally from. So we had to drive like 40 miles there, and then we had to go to her aunt's house, which is in Sims, Alabama, mm. which is close to Mobile. That was about a two hour drive from there. Then came back to Pensacola. Then went over to my uncle's house, which wasn't too far away, for like a, a late dinner. So we, <laughs> we drove, I think, over 200 miles on Thanksgiving Day.
1: Yeah, we did the same thing. We had to go up uh, about three hours north of here to, to get where we were oh, wow. going. And it was literally in the middle of nowhere. Like there was nothing for. At least 20 to 30 miles in any direction. Wow. uh, Yeah, it was not quite what I'm used to. You know, (laughs) like you look on your phone, you can't do anything. And then I realized how addicted
0: to my phone I am. Sometimes that's a good thing, though. It is. To get get disconnected from it, and you'll just, uh, you have to actually engage in. Social behavior. I mean, it, it it's tough sometimes for me too, because you know we're all connected to our phones. Because I I'll be checking, you know, to see how all the different podcasts are doing, uh, check Twitter, check Facebook, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So sometimes it's good to be disconnected from the from the digital age.
1: Yeah, we went back old and did some gaming old school. We played some Clue and some Pictionary while we were there.
0: Oh, nice! I haven't played those in years. Oh,
1: I actually—it's been so long since I played Clue. I forgot how to play. I had to relearn how to play Clue. And I used to actually have like a strategy when I was a kid. I don't remember at all. Like I could barely keep up with what was going on.
0: Wow, that's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm getting old. So, oh well. <laughs> oh, no, we're all getting old. But uh, but um, actually, speaking of gaming, let's go ahead and talk about some retro gaming news for this week. From RetroGamer.net, two new Mega Drive projects hit Kickstarter. Uh, if you're a fan of Sega's 16-bit hit, rejoice! Two new Mega Drive games are currently up on Kickstarter, hoping to get a slice of your crowdfunding uh, spend. Tanglewood is a platform platform game designed by Matt Phillips, a developer whose credits include modern games such as the LEGO series and Homefront the Revolution. The game follows the young creature Nim, who has been separated from the pack and must survive the night <coughs> in a platform puzzle adventure. The campaign is asking for £48,000 with cartridge-only copies are available from a 40-pound pledge. Uh, And I'm pretty sure you can do American dollars for this, right? I'm not sure what the conversion rate for the dollar to pounds is these days. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but I'm sure that option's available. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're roughly the same. Uh, Coffee Crisis is also a beat-em-up by Mega Cat Studios, a hobbyist outfit devoted to releasing new games for older platforms. The Smerglian race has popped over to our neck of the galaxy to steal some stuff. Namely, heavy metal music, coffee, cat videos, and Wi-Fi internet. And it's your job to beat the idea out of them. The campaign is asking for $10,000 with fully boxed copies of the game starting at the $55 pledge tier. To find out more and back the game, uh, just go to Kickstarter and look up... um, Uh, I guess just look up uh, "Coffee Crisis" and "Tanglewood."
0: Both of these games actually sound right up my
1: alley. Oh, they do. They look great. I mean, it's straight up 16-bit goodness. If you if you look at the, they do have some trailers on uh, RetroGamer.net. So if you go check that out, you'll see the trailers for the games right there.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the two thumbnails. They look like Sega Genesis games and oh, the absolutely. especially like the the Coffee Crisis like the logo yeah <laughs> the just the, the whole thing looks really cool
1: so yeah if you're interested and you have an old uh, Mega Drive or the uh, Sega Genesis go uh, go on uh, Kickstarter and help these guys out and get yourself a, a actual brand new Sega Genesis game i mean how many at retro gaming systems, can you say that you'll actually get a new game for the system? None. None. But that,
0: that's that's so crazy to hear.
1: And I wonder if this actually takes off. Things like this, do you think they're going to start having people uh, do games for the actual like go back and do do and make games for the SNES? I mean, can they still do that? I mean, obviously, we still have the technology available.
0: I mean, I don't see why not. I I know plenty of people who still have their old gaming systems, and I think it would have a very niche uh, fan base, but I still say, you know, why not?
1: Yeah, and I, I can't see these games costing more than, you know no more than 50 grand to produce these games. I mean, you it, all it takes is one or two good programmers. I mean, and look, you know, look at Super Meat Boy. That was two dudes in a basement. And, you know, why can't people, that small teams, come up with these Kickstarter campaigns to actually make new games for old systems? Like, that would just, that sounds like right up my alley. Like, that's that should be a new wave of, people doing stuff like this no absolutely
0: i hope we hear more stories about this type of stuff because after we're finished i'll I'll actually go back and look at the the trailers for both because like i said both games sound like they're right up my alley
1: oh absolutely so hopefully this is the start of a a whole new thing let's keep our fingers crossed absolutely so let's move on to this month and video game history
0: In 1995, on November
1: 21st, Donkey Kong
0: Country 2, Diddy's Conquest, was released on the Super Nintendo made by Rare and Nintendo. It was the sequel to the hugely popular Donkey Kong Country. This was one of those Rare sequels where, as great as the first game was, I think this one was probably my favorite in that whole series. I'll be honest,
1: I never played this game
0: is really good. It took everything that was great about Donkey Kong Country and built on it. You know, the the graphics were relatively the same, but the level designs were a little bit better, a little more variety. It is it's the perfect example of what a sequel should be. You take the elements that made the first game great and then you build upon it. Yeah, so it's really, really good.
1: What year did the N sixty four come out? Was that nineteen ninety six?
0: I believe so. I will actually look that up real quick, but I'm like ninety five percent sure okay. that it was nineteen ninety six. June twenty third, nineteen ninety six.
1: Okay, yeah, because so apparently they were still making Super Nintendo games while the Nintendo sixty four was out. I did not know that. I thought they stopped making SNES games around ninety five.
0: Yeah, it's um, it kind of reminds me of the PlayStation Two. The PlayStation Two was one of the most popular game consoles to ever come out because they had so many games for it. And they, I think, just recently, like within the last year or two, stopped making games for it. Like they were still making PlayStation Two games throughout the entire PlayStation Three run. (laughs) That's nuts. It really is, and kind of going into the the next story in 1996 on November 22nd Donkey Kong Country 3 was released. So months after the N64 came out, this came out for SNES. This one was it was okay. It was probably my least favorite in the uh, in the Donkey Kong Country series just because you felt like everything had kind of been done in this franchise and they tried to make it a little bit too complicated. Yeah. So it it was it was still a fun game for the most part, but looking back on it, I would probably rank it third in the Donkey Kong Country series. Like I I'm gonna review both of these games, you know, later on down the line and I'll go into more detail as to why I think that but you know
1: it just seems like around this time you got the N sixty four coming out and then it just feels like they're trying to squeeze blood from a turnip at this point.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's a very accurate way of describing it. Hmm. And uh, November 30th of the same year, Sonic 3D Blast was released for the Sega Saturn and Mega Drive Genesis system created by Sega and Traveler's Tales. It was an isometric platformer in the popular Sonic the Hedgehog series, the only platformer in the series on the Sega Saturn, and the only game in the series developed by Traveler's Tales. I'll be completely honest. I love the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, but this game was terrible. <laughs> this I, was it, yeah, this Sonic's was
1: beyond me. The, uh, like all of these, pretty much everything from ninety about ninety four to about 1999, nineteen ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine. I completely passed me by. This was Sonic's
0: first venture into the 3D world. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work in 1996. And you can make the argument that it doesn't work in 2016. I don't know what it is, but that series just has not translated very well. There are, I can probably count on one hand the decent Sonic 3D games that have been made since 1996. So you could say in 20 years, I could probably name three or four good Sonic 3D games.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Sonic is just basically... It's only that that type of game. I mean, it's only built to be that 2D, uh, side-scrolling, go-as-fast-as-you-can-possibly-go... I mean, that's their bread and butter, and that's what they should stick with. So if they're going to start doing new Sonic games, they need to go back to that um, aesthetic, that, that gameplay.
0: And we've talked about it before, but early next year, Sega's releasing a new Sonic game called Sonic Mania, where it's played in the same style as the old Genesis games, just with better graphics. Yeah. So, that game, I cannot wait for. I'll absolutely be getting it. Because watching the gameplay of it, it's just like playing the old Genesis.
1: Yeah, that's what they need to stick to. So, hopefully, you know, it just doesn't lend itself to much more than that. Not like Mario does. Mario, you can pretty much make an RPG out of it. You can make a side-scroller. You know, you can make an open-world Uh, adventure game, you can pretty much do anything you want with Mario. But with Sonic, there's not much you can do with that. Once you put him into a 3D world, it kind of loses its luster at that point.
0: Yeah,
1: I agree. But uh, for this week, our review, Derek is going to be doing a review of this game right here.
0: Ah, uh, Harvest Moon. <laughs> This is a game that, you know, listing the SNES games that I wanted to review, I thought to myself, this is probably going to be a tough game to sell. So I'll explain what this game is about for those who have never heard of it. And this is from the Wikipedia page. Harvest Moon is a farm simulation role-playing game developed by ACMUS for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. The game was first released in Japan in 1996, in North America in 1997, and in Europe in 1998. So basically, this game is about farming. Yes, you heard me correctly. You (laughs) grow crops, raise livestock, visit your local town. The story of this game is you play as a young boy who is charged with maintaining his dad's farm. And that's literally what you do. You wake up, you... Plant crops, water them, or you just water them if you've already planted them. You can buy livestock, you can visit, you know, people in the local town. Um, you can go to church. You can go to festivals. Go to the bar at night. Visit the the mountaintop. But it's such an addicting game. It sounds really boring and very simple. But once you really get into it, because you actually live in a pretty big area, and the, the cool thing about this game is when you take over this farm, it, the condition is awful. Like, you have to cut shrubs, um, cut down tree stumps, cut down trees, clear the entire land, you know, use your um, use your hoe to make the ground fertile, to be able to plant seeds... You can grow like, you know, turnips and potatoes in the fall. Um, you can grow grass pretty much whenever except for winter. And that's how you, you know, feed your cows and your chickens. And if you go even one day without feeding your livestock, they get sick. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't treat it, then they die.
1: So is this and kind of a precursor to like animal crossing?
0: You could say that, yeah.
1: Because little uh, at it, that's what it reminds oh, go ahead. me of.
0: It does a little bit, and I've actually never played Animal Crossing, but the little bit of gameplay that I've seen is kind of like a more advanced version of this. Because th- with this game, it's it deals with time, but it's in like a very primitive stage. Like you can check, you know, to see like it'll say, "Oh, when you wake up every morning at 6 a.m.," and then in like 30 seconds, it'll be seven or eight, and so on and so forth. Um, There are only certain things that you can do for, you know, certain seasons. Um, Like, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember, let's see, there are certain festivals, like the Harvest Festival is in the fall, Uh, the Egg Festival is in the spring, you have New Year's Day, summer and winter solstice, you have uh, disasters that can happen, so say like during the summer a hurricane could happen. So you don't want to leave any of your chickens or cows in the in the field or else they'll get blown away. <laughs> um, you can actually get married yeah, and have a family in the game, which, which <laughs> is kind of cool. Marriageable
1: girl side quests.
0: <laughs> Say again? Wow.
1: I said marriageable girl side quests. I was just reading that as you were as you said that.
0: Yeah, the way they describe that is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what oh, one funny thing you can get intoxicated wow in the game which is kind of funny it's like very brief like you you go to the bar but they don't like they don't flat out say that you drink beer but you can tell it obviously is
1: uh, it says in the localized North American version all references to alcohol are changed to juice even though anyone who drinks said juice clearly becomes intoxicated
0: <laughs> hmm. yeah no, that's that's Pretty much accurate. When the when the game starts, it's in the spring, and you can go through a full year. And it's basically you keep you keep going. Like there's really no set end to the game, or at least I've never gotten to it. Um, as far as the marriage thing, what you basically do is there are like four or five different girls you can talk to, and you can pick up on each of their. You know what they like, like what kind of flowers they like, or if they like flowers, or if they like a certain type of food. So, say if they love tomatoes, well, you can grow tomatoes and then bring them one every day. Or if they love flowers, you go to the mountain, pick a flower, bring it to them, and then you just, and you can, uh, what sounds kind of creepy actually is you can read their diary and you can see like all the girls start with one heart. Whenever you read it, and the more they like you, the more hearts are in the are in the diary. So once it gets to like a certain amount, you get this blue feather, which is like a proposal gift. And uh, if you give it to them, hopefully they say yes. I've never been rejected in the game. If if that uh, amounts so to anything,
1: it sounds like Stalker the game. it says uh, for each marriageable girl in the game there is an event that can be triggered once her affection towards the new player reaches a certain level this event is always some sort of crisis that the player must resolve doing so increases the particular girl's affection rating these events cannot be accessed once the player is married regardless of the affection rating of the remaining girls
0: so you can't cheat on your wife. No. Once you get married. Hmm. But no, it this is like I said, it sounds like a very odd game, but once you get into the gameplay of it, it's very very addicting. And it, it's it's one of the most replayable Super Nintendo games that I've honestly ever played. Well, like it honest. came out on the Wii U virtual console not too long ago and i bought it again and i went through like a full year of it and then stopped wow
1: see i i love games like this i mean this reminds me any kind of like simulation game is just uh, i get addicted <laughs> to simulation games like the civilization games the sid meier civilization oh my god dude mm-hmm. i will get sucked into those games and we'll not stop for, like, months playing those games. And one of the best ones that I played was Civilization Revolution on the Xbox 360. There was something about that game because it was kind of simple, but it it was way watered down from the regular Civilization games that, you know, from on the computer. But there was just something about that game that just kept me playing for... least two to three years of playing that game over and over. So I understand. I mean, these kind of games, these simulation games are just, there's, they have that special sauce, man.
0: They do. And what's cool is throughout the game for every season, um, you adopt like a different type of animal. Like at the very beginning of the game, you get a puppy. (laughs) And, uh, then in the winter, you encounter a wild horse and you, uh, you tame it and then you can actually ride it like to the mountain into the town so it you know it's a lot faster than running um you you get you get all kinds of cool things and it, it's growing up in a small town kind of like this i guess it was kind of a an extra incentive for me yeah i, I don't know what it was like i honestly think what it might have been is I saw the box in a Walmart one day and thought it looked cool, so I asked mom to get it for me, and, you know, eventually I did, and it's been one of my favorite Super Nintendo games ever since.
1: That's cool. I mean, the box art does look, I it would have caught my attention as a kid, uh, and as far as how the game was reviewed, uh, the game received mainly positive reviews and has a game-ranking standing of 73%. For the release of Harvest Moon on the Wii's virtual console, IGN rated the game at 8.5, praising the game's still-gorgeous 16-bit graphics and addictive gameplay.
0: That's pretty accurate. And there are a few sequels to this game. Like You can look at the bottom of Wikipedia and you can see there were, let's see, three, six, eight console games and a lot of portables. But I can say I've never played any of the other spinoffs or anything like that. I've only played the original Harvest Moon. Like I, I, I do want to try some of these out at some point. I mean, you know how it is. It's it's tough to carve out time to play video games. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, but this... I, I would if you like games like this. Like if you're if you're listening to this and say you're an Animal Crossing fan or you're a fan of, you know, like the just the repetitive daily tasks but they're addicting. Definitely give this game a look. At least you know check out some of the gameplay on YouTube and just see how it plays. It's it's one of those games that you can get sucked into very easily.
1: It sounds like it's right up my alley. So if I ever come across a copy of this at a at a flea market or a retro game store, I might go ahead and just pick it up. Because this is right up my alley.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. No, you should... I'd be excited to hear you try it out. I'd be very curious to hear your review of it.
1: I'd love to. Because like I said, I love these simulation games. Like, there's just... There's just something about it that's just so awesome and just makes you just want to keep playing it over and over again. Um, And this last weekend, of course, we had a... I had a four day weekend because of, um, or four and a half day weekend because of Thanksgiving. I got to play a little bit. And um, one of the games that I'm going to be reviewing next week uh, is Crystalis for the NES. And I just have to say before I give my review, I even made a tweet about this the other night. I forgot how much that game reminds me of Zelda. Like, it's a much better game to me than Zelda 2 um, Adventures of link like this feels like what should have been Legend of Zelda part two to me
0: yeah Zelda 2 was it was different
1: yeah but it I will say I, that I just feel like it was different not in a good way
0: no you're right it, it was it seemed like they tried to add some Mario elements to Zelda and it just didn't yeah. work.
1: Well, this actually, Crystalis feels like um, the people that loved Zelda, the first game, and were disappointed by the second game, said, you know what? Let's make what we wanted Zelda 2 to be. And that's what Crystalis became. And I, for some reason, I, I I can't see why Nintendo didn't uh, either license the game or you know bring it under the the actual Nintendo interne- uh, intellectual property to be up there with Zelda or you know Mario, Link, those types of things, because it does have a Nintendo brand just dripping all over it, even though it was made by SNK.
0: I'm excited to hear the review of it.
1: It's going to be a good review because I'm having a lot of fun playing it. And uh, if anybody wants to prepare for my review, there is plenty of YouTube videos. And the music for Crystalis is probably some of the best music ever made for the NES.
0: I will have to go look that up.
1: Absolutely. So that's going to be coming up next week on Nerd Cave Retro. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we close out this week's episode?
0: Uh, no, I don't believe so. Hopefully everyone had a, a great Thanksgiving and you know, we're, we're now in the holiday season.
1: Absolutely. Put up my Christmas tree today. And you know what else I'm looking forward to? We have a special show coming up later in this month. Uh, actually, we're going to be recording it about three weeks from now. And I think Derek knows what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, for those who have listened to this show since the beginning, we've off and on brought up the movie The Wizard. <laughs> so what we're going to be doing is myself, Jason, and our mutual friend Wally, Jason's co-host on the Pop Culture Palette podcast, which you can check out every Saturday on iTunes, Yes, um, we are going to be doing a commentary for The Wizard. It's going to be available in both podcast and YouTube form. So I... I've, I haven't done a movie commentary in probably three years, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and this is going to be like the first major thing that I think the three of us have done together. so
1: yeah, I think it is because I mean, we've done podcasts together before, but nothing like this where we're actually doing the commentary for a movie, and we're doing it for YouTube as well.
0: Exactly. No, th- I think this is going to be the first in-person thing that we've done. So yeah. it- it's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully you guys won't get tired of me singing all the songs.
1: <laughs> I think we're all going to be singing the songs for the movie. And my wife already said she's, she was like... um do I have to be here for that? I was like, no, you don't have to be here. She's like, good. (laughs) She's like, why are you going to torture yourselves by watching that movie? I'm like, you don't understand. We love it. It's so bad. We love it. It's so bad. It's great. I mean, who
0: doesn't want to see three grown men sing about a a late (laughs) eighties Nintendo commercial?
1: (laughs) Oh, it's going to be glorious. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. We're going to be recording it on December 18th. And, um, It will be released sometime after that.
1: Yeah, probably the next day, if we can. If not, the day afterwards. So somewhere around December 19th or 20th it should be available. uh, available. Yes. So on that note... It's going to be a lot of fun. On that note, uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic, and I can't wait to do this. I've been looking forward to this for like a month now. You have no idea. I'm so excited. So <laughs> let's go ahead and close this episode out. Um, you can get a hold of us at NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at NerdCaveRetro, at JFunktastic, at Derek underscore Diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So Derek, tell them what it's all about.
0: May, may the way of the hero lead to the Triforce
1: you've been listening to a nerd cave network production